It's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than four thousand years all the way. Hey everyone, welcome to week 26 of our Route 66 campaign. You are officially halfway through the Bible. That's exciting. Give yourself a big pat on the back, especially if you've been able to keep up with us on this journey. We're going at a rigorous pace, but we want to take some time to pull off to the side of the road every once in a while to look at those points of interest in Scripture as we go along. And that's what this podcast is all about. We've been in the Psalms for a couple of weeks now. We'll be continuing that this week. I wanted to start off our time together by sharing a little bit about the divisions of the Psalms. As you're going through the Psalms, you're going to notice some some headings. A couple of them this week, especially, where it'll say like Book 1, Book 2, Book 3. And you'll notice those in your Bible. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the meaning of those divisions. Now, Psalms 1 to 41 comprise Book 1. And then Book 2 is Psalms 42 to 72, and that's the section we'll be in this week. And then we'll be moving into book three, which is Psalm 73 to 89, and then going into book four, Psalms 90 to 106, and then finally book five, Psalms 107 to 150. And each of these books has a very specific purpose and theme. And you may not catch on to this intuitively. And so I just want to highlight this, kind of stop and look underneath the hood a little bit and point out some of the details of how the Psalms are arranged. Now, most scholars believe that the book of Psalms was put together after the Jews came back from exile. If you remember back to when we were reading in Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah, those are all what we call post-exilic books. They were books of the Bible that were written after the Israelites came back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem and resettle the land. Well, the Psalms was compiled during this time as well. It was a putting together of the worship hymn book, if you will, for the post-exilic Jews. Now, even though some of the Psalms of David, there's a couple Psalms of, of Solomon and one Psalm of Moses and some others, those were actually written before the exile, but not really compiled and arranged in a certain order until after the exile. Now, the five books are carefully put together so that they actually mirror the story of Israel 
from the time of David until after the exile. Books 1 and 2 are put on the backdrop of the time of the early monarchy, as David is speaking various words of lament and praise, both for himself and for his people, based on God's unending goodness and righteousness. In fact, the books 1 and 2 are kind of held together with the bookends of Psalm 2 and 72 that extol the king as God's anointed one for his people. You know, there's some little hints here and there of looking forward, some foreshadowing to the future Messiah who will be a king on the throne of David in the future. And then book three comes along, but it only has one Psalm of David. Instead, we start to see this presence of many prominent laments that would have been said by the people when they were in exile and after the exile. It assumes that Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylons and it has a, many of the Psalms have a very mournful tone, like Psalm 44 talking about why and how long regarding how Yahweh has rejected his people. And then in book four, we're going back to Moses. It it has the one psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, which we're going to talk a little bit more about later in this episode. But it goes back to the time of Moses and it talks about God's dwelling place through all generations that even in spite of everything that's happened, God is reigning and he is a a source of trust and thanksgiving for his people, even though they've gone through this hardship. And it ends with an appeal for God to gather the exiles in Psalm 106. And then book five begins with a psalm of praise that assumes that the exiles are gathering in Psalm 107 and then talks about God's reign and his rule over all the nations in Psalm 108. As it winds toward the end of the book of Psalms, we just see a a constant affirmation of God's ultimate sovereignty over all things. The first three books are, you know, a lot of laments. And that's to be expected because Israel's going through a lot of hard times, uh, periods of unfaithfulness. But the final two books are predominantly praise and thanksgiving, affirmations of who God is and and a knowledge of his ruling and reigning in people's lives and in the lives of Israel as a nation as well. So as you read through the book of Psalms, think about this kind of theological basis that underpins a lot of these poems. God is at the center of everything, and the psalmist are aware of their covenant relationship with God and and they're bringing that out through these songs but they're also doing it within the overall context of Israel's history and an affirmation of their identity as the people of God so you'll want to look for that dimension as well I just want to take a few moments to highlight a couple of the Psalms that you'll be reading this week. The first one we're going to talk about is Psalm 78, and this is a Psalm of Asaph. And Asaph is an author of several Psalms. It probably dates somewhere into the divided kingdom period. So this would be after the reigns of David and Solomon And now the kingdom has been divided into north and south. Remember, we read all of that back in the book of 
Second Kings. What's interesting to me about Psalm 78 is that it's one of the salvation history psalms. There's a few others later that you'll be encountering next week, but I just thought we'd take a few minutes to look at Psalm 78. And this isn't just merely a retelling of Israel's history. This is, it says in verse 2, it's putting it out there as a parable. It's something that we should be able to see a pattern in how God works in history through each generation. And that these events are historical and they provide the foundation for Israel's identity as a people, but they also provide a foundation for our identity as God's new covenant people. These events are real history. They're not just mythological tales or or something that's disconnected to us. Rather, they, they form the bedrock of who we are. We serve a God who has intervened in history repeatedly on behalf of his people. And we see that pattern again in the New Testament when God sends his own son in history to live and walk and die and come back to life among us. One of the most unique features of the Christian worldview is this historical aspect that Christians are not simply believing in a book that has a lot of good moral sayings. It's not just a book that tells us how to be good people. Rather, it's a story of historical events of how the creator of the universe is weaving all of these events together in a purposeful and strategic way for an outcome that he has designed and these events as they are recounted in Psalm 78 of the history of God's people are are their connection to God himself they are a reminder of God has intervened for us in the past, and we have reason to believe, therefore, that he will intervene for us again in the future as part of our salvation. It's important for us to recount the key historical events of our past, such as the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the cornerstone of the gospel. The gospel isn't merely just our testimony. It is these historical events and our recounting of them is the foundation of our identity as God's people. And so we follow in this pattern that's been laid down in Psalm 78. We need to take the time to recount these historical events, not just our own personal and private experiences with God, but those public events that were witnessed by others. And this is just such a unique feature of the Christian worldview that we're putting it out there that Christianity is not just a, a religion of personal private experience. It is that, but it's more than that. It's also a historically based religion. It's based on the claim that we are making that God has intervened in history on behalf of his people and that these were real historical events. The second psalm we're going to look at, actually it's two psalms together, is Psalm 79 and 80. And once again, these both fall in book three, which is Psalms 73 to 89. And there's a lot of laments in this section. 
talking about the difficulties that Israel is going through because of its sinfulness. This is recounting the period in history back in Second Kings where Israel continues to fall away from God, breaking their covenant promises to God, and eventually falling into exile and then being taken away from the land. Psalms 79 and 80 are interesting because they reflect two different time periods in history. Let's look at Psalm 79 first. There's a really big clue right in the beginning of Psalm 79 that this is the time after Jerusalem has been conquered. It says, O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance, they have defiled your holy temple, and they have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. And it talks about how Jerusalem has been invaded by these foreigners, they have desecrated the temple, and this whole Psalm 79 is a lament about those events. And there's also a plea for God to forgive his people, that even though these foreigners have devoured the land of Jacob, the psalmist cries out to God, Do not hold against us the sins of our fathers. May your mercy come quickly. Help us. The psalmist is, is pleading with God that they be rescued and that their land be restored. Now, Psalm 80 probably reflects a time period that's a little bit earlier than Psalm 79. There's a plea right in the beginning. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be sa saved. How long, O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Now this reference to Ephraim and Manasseh is probably the psalmist's way of asking God to restore the, the north and the south as one kingdom. The, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh were often used in a symbolic or shorthand way of referring to the northern kingdom. And so what the psalmist is, is pleading with God here is for a restoration of the land, for a restoration of unity. One of the things I think is interesting about Psalm 80 starts in verse 8. It says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. There's many times where Israel is referred to as a vine. You'll notice this as we work our way through the prophets, that that, that imagery is going to come up several times, that Israel is the vine of God. It's a wonderful word picture that God uses to describe his people. And it makes it all the more powerful when we get to the New Testament in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you recall the words of Jesus where he says, I am the true vine. And he admonishes the disciples to become attached to him as the true vine. And without getting into a big discussion about the meaning of John chapter 15, I think that what Jesus is saying there is that he is the true vine. He is the one who is replacing Israel as God's vine. But in Psalm 80, the, the, the imagery between John 15 and, and Psalm 80 is, is, is interesting. It even talks about how in verse 16, the vine is cut down and is burned with fire. 
and that is another image that reappears in John 15. And finally, the psalmist cries out to the Lord in verse 19, Restore us, O Lord God Almighty, make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. Both of these laments, Psalm 79 and Psalm 80, reflect different time periods in Israel's history, but using this convention of putting a poem to music to create a worship song for God's people to use to cry out to God to restore them, to restore them as a unified people, to restore them to their land, to restore their dignity, and to also recall their their glorious past, but to almost remind God of, of who they are and to ask for his mercy during these difficult times. Well, that's all for this week. I hope that as we continue to make our way through the Psalms, you're getting some insights into a little bit more of of how the Psalms were put together and just some appreciation for even how they were arranged and, and the stories that they tell and the stories that are behind them. It's just such an interesting thing to delve into. And there's there's so much to the Psalms that we could spend a whole year just just thinking and reflecting on this important section of scripture. But I hope that as you read through it, that you'll just try to take some time to to think about even just one psalm a day that, that you're reading through and, and writing in your study companion one sentence or one thought every day as it strikes you. What you see is a connection between your own life and what God has done for his people in the past and if you see any parallels between how God has worked in the past for his people and and how he's working in your life today because we serve a God who is never changing he doesn't change yesterday today or tomorrow he's the same God and we can rest in that and that just as in the past he has rescued his people from his covenant enemies. He will deliver and preserve a people for himself even today, even during the hard times that we're going through. The Psalms are a wonderful reminder that even when we're struggling with our own emotions, when we're right in the middle of the hard times, that we can have that eternal perspective of knowing that God is still in control and we can cry out to him, we can call upon him, but we can also reaffirm our trust in him and that he is trustworthy. We'll pick it up right there at Psalm 90 next week, the Psalm of Moses. And we'll spend some time talking about that together. In the meantime, let's keep pressing on and we'll see you next week. That's all for now. God bless. Accessory and don't forget Golgotha's our sister baby.